Welcome to the Harnessing Happiness podcast. Upbeat vibes generated and transferred to you. Now here's your host, Sarah J. Naylor. Hello and welcome to Harnessing Happiness with myself, Sarah J. Naylor. Thank you as always for stopping by and listening to my podcast. Today, I have the fabulous Jasmine Julia Gupta with me. And as always, I am going to hand over to my fabulous guest to introduce herself to you all. So over to you, Jasmine. Well, thank you for having me. It's lovely to be here. And hello to all the listeners. Thank you for tuning in to us. So who am I? Well, I am the founder of the charity called Cancer Hair Care. And we are a UK-based charity. And what we do is we look after people who lose their hair as a, a side effect of cancer treatments. So commonly that might be chemotherapy, but it could be hormonal therapies or radiotherapy. And so a big part of my days is spent doing this wonderful work. And it may sound strange to say this, but it is joyful work because whilst people are experiencing real challenges with a cancer diagnosis and with hair loss, what we do is we get to sit side by side with people and and hear their story and hopefully help them along their way. So that's a big part of my days. But I'm also a mum. I've got lots of keen interests. I'm I'm very interested in uh, developing um, being a human being, uh, what that is, what that means to me in my daily life. So my, my days are very busy. I don't work Monday to Friday. I do work every day. I love my work, although it can be challenging at times. And so I guess as an introduction, that's who I am. I, I suppose I'm here really talking to you because of my background um, founding a cancer charity. Your whole story, your whole background, everything that you've, it's, it's fascinating because you know, you, you're, you've come to what you've done from a different angle, really. I mean, your, your background is actually in hairdressing, isn't it? And a lot of people assume that you've come to create a charity because you've had cancer yourself, but you haven't, have you? You've, you've come to it from a completely different angle. Isn't it interesting when we start to think about how we got where we got? And why we do what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, recently, I've moved to Cambridgeshire and I've started to go to a Buddhist centre there because mm-hmm. I'm very inquisitive and interested about what Buddhism may have to offer. And so now you've asked me the question, how did you get where you got? Um, I'm aware that actually I heard someone talk the other day and they said they tell their life story a lot. It's part of their practice. But every time they tell it, it's slightly different Mm -hmm. because it depends where they're coming from. So you're right. I didn't start a cancer charity because I've had cancer or hair loss. And people are always very surprised, especially now. We're 10 years old this year, our charity. Mm. We're celebrating our 10th anniversary. (laughs) Yay! And what what people always say is, oh, well, you know, so you must have had cancer then, Jasmine, or, or somebody very close to you. Well, actually, it didn't start like that. As a hairdresser, I had the great privilege of working for a really top-notch salon. And I started there when I was 17, sweeping the floors. And by 29, I was the global director for this massive company. And I'd travelled and worked in 20 countries with them. And I've met Vivian Westwood and done London Fashion Week and all those things. What a privilege. Oh gosh, Vivian Westwood, I've got to tell you this, and then we will bring it to the point of how, how do you then go from Vivian Westwood to running a cancer support charity? <laughs> I think she's you know. awesome. I she think is she's... awesome. And when I first met her, I was 17 years of age and um I was uh, work, you know working as a junior and 
I went to um, help support London Fashion Week as a junior, handing up, you know, hairpins to the amazing hairdressers. And Vivian Westwood was there and we were in a huge auditorium, which was really cold because they wouldn't put the heating on until it was the day of the show. <laughs> so yeah, there you go. Saving costs. Yeah. And so she came in and she was head to toe in this huge coat, a voluptuous coat with all kinds of textures in it. It looked amazing. Mm. And she had this see-through dress on underneath, one of her signature type of, of styles, you know. And um, a massive necklace with something really prominent written on it. I can't remember what it was, but it would have been edgy. Yeah, would have been edgy. Yeah, yeah, of course. But then she has a very sweet, um, I'm going to say almost Coronation Street like voice. <laughs> and so um, she looks at me, and I was really cold. And she said, "Oh dear," she said, "You look really cold. Do you want to borrow my coat?" Wow. Wow. There I was, 17, (laughs) with Vivian Westwood, wearing a Vivian Westwood coat, which was Vivian Westwood's coat. Oh, my gosh, that's just an awesome story. (laughs) All all the guys that I worked with were super jealous because they knew. Back then, I didn't really understand or appreciate who Vivian Westwood was. Mm -hmm. And several years later, when I was 21, I did my final show um, to qualify as a hairdresser. I borrowed, I think it was about £2 million worth of clothes from Vivian Westwood for my final show. Wow. Yes, and and even then I hadn't really learned and I'd put stuffed them all in the back of a black cab and there were too many for one cab so I held another one just said follow us in this one and then I remember arriving at the salon for the manager to say uh was someone in that other cab no no it's okay they're following us he said never do that again with a million pounds worth of Vivian Westwood clothes in a random cab wow (laughs) we live we learn don't we Sarah absolutely absolutely and it uh, has to be said that you were working for it was Trevor Sorby wasn't it that's right I was working for Trevor Sorby International yeah but what a start in life (laughs) what a story exactly and how how wonderful to be exposed to all these exciting fashion events and but Mm. here's the thing here's the tenuous link I suppose even back then what I cared about most and why I think I was a successful hairdresser, I just really loved people. Mm-hmm. And I, it's only now I realised that was my talent. I really loved people and everybody I meet is, is fascinating to me. So actually it was fascinating meeting Vivian Westwood, but I still to this day, I don't know who famous people are <laughs> and I, I, I forget who they are. I just yeah, like, and so I think like that's me. why I got on so well and why I went to the top of that field because actually I could have a conversation with whoever it was, a famous model, a famous mm-hmm. actress, an everyday conversation about their hair. But what happened was we learned how to work with wigs wigs Ah. and false hair and I realized years later that this was a skill that not Mm. ever I thought every hairdresser felt comfortable cutting a wig I thought every hairdresser felt comfortable working with false hair pieces well nowadays it's a little it's increased more Mm -hmm. but actually it wasn't like that back then so what happened was over my years there I met amazing trichologists I met and I helped develop over 350 liquid products in a lab. So my schooling was incredible. So what I got to learn about hair was the biology, was the products, was Mm -hmm. the people. And then what happened was um, I'd been there many years um, working for this well-known hairdresser, as we said. And actually what happened was Trevor's family member was diagnosed with cancer Mm -hmm. and we weren't going to be around. We were going to be away when they might have needed wig cutting and Trevor really wanted to get it sorted, but he wanted to have a backup plan. Mm -hmm. And we found that even with very top hairdressers, people were really nervous about that. And we sat there and said, you know what, actually, 
this isn't about being a great hairdresser. This is the difference between the authenticity mm-hmm. of being able to answer questions from people that are having cancer treatment. So what happened was I helped formulate that charity um, when I was there, um, oh, it, which is okay. called My New Hair. And that's mm-hmm. a charity predominantly tasked with um, teaching hairdressers, regular hairdressers, how to cut wigs. Sure, Really yeah, to yeah. help people mm-hmm. with any type of med- medical hair loss. When I left Trevor Sorby, it was time for me to go and do my own thing. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting on Brighton Beach in 2005 and I was reading all these top cancer support charities' guides to hair loss. And, and one of them, a really poignant charity, said... You can't colour your hair for two years and you need at least five to seven inches of hair. And I thought, I don't agree with that. Mm-hmm. I feel with my experience, which, which was pretty big then, but yes, not yes. anywhere near it is now. I, I'm, I want to challenge that. Mm-hmm. I thought, what if you only ever want your hair to be three inches? Can you never colour your hair the rest of your life? Do you know what? It took me seven years, Sarah, of investigating, of sitting with thousands of patients, of talking to oncologists, of talking Mm. to trichologists, of talking to colour companies to create what we have now, which is a very simple six-step colour guide. Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. Wow. But you've you've just been so passionate, though, haven't you, about what it is that you want to do? And that's what really comes through, that sort of passion. And I know from a conversation we'd had previously, you, you sort of, to, to learn all that you've learned, you had to overcome the challenges yourself of dyslexia, didn't you? Yeah, and I don't know another word for this, so I'm sorry, listeners, if this sounds really juvenile to say <laughs> that I honestly do think that dyslexia has been a gift to me. I did mm-hmm. not think that when I was 15. No. I felt like I was not like anybody else. I did not feel like that when I was 18. But when I, when I hit my 30s, I realised that actually... Other people seem to see problems and I just felt I saw how things could be improved. Mm-hmm. What happened was um, when I write something, because I write a lot of content now, I mm-hmm. have to get it checked. But yep. the beauty in that is you get it checked. Mm-hmm. And when you get it checked, someone else says, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. And you go, oh, I thought that was really, I thought it was really obvious. What I mean is yes, if, yeah. you, if, if you want to colour your hair during treatment, you need to think about X, Y and Z. And they'll say, but that's not clear. And I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. right. So I guess the gift is that it's, I'm a very quick person and mm-hmm. I'm impatient. <laughs> I want, <laughs> which I'm is. <laughs> you and myself. <laughs> I want it done, you know. Yes, I, I, I'll do it now. Oh, I get a good piece of, um, you know, I sit with with patients in clinic and somebody, yesterday, somebody told me an amazing tip and I thought, yes, that's a great tip because she was having this um, treatment called a cold cap, scalp cooling. Okay. Which you, you wear sometimes over the hair and the idea is during chemotherapy it will help to try and retain or minimise the amount of hair that's lost. But this cold cap operates at minus five in temperature it's very very cold and the forehead there's no hair there and people say but I've got a fringe but the Mm. hair I know for the listeners you're not sort of seeing something visually but if I describe if you have a fringe it falls over your forehead but the actual fringe starts at the top upper hairline doesn't it yeah that's where it grows out of so when Mm. you wear this cold cap which looks a bit like a motorbike helmet Mm -hmm. it's you know it's exposing the forehead to minus five it's oh very, my very gosh. cold. Yes. Yeah, and this yeah. lady said to me, oh my gosh, I'd forgotten my, uh, my headband that you'd advised me to take. So she took her tights off 
Mm-hmm. and wrapped her tights around her forehead and that didn't quite work so then she had a makeup sponge in her bag and she just popped that underneath and it's little tips like that you know giving other people permission yes you don't have to have the labeled thing to wear the official thing mm-hmm. you can use your tights from your bag or your makeup sponges mm-hmm. and that really helped her level the discomfort and she continued to wear that for eight hours during treatment oh wow yeah oh wow no, do you know what on a completely random note here you've mentioned tights around the forehead forehead you've sent me back into the 80s when I had a pair of pink tights that I cut up and I, I tied them in a knot and wore them round my forehead as a headband and I was very trendy <laughs> well I'm sure that's coming back it's going to be all the rage you know when I teach um, younger students now in colleges because one of my goals one of my dreams would be that all students who do an MVQ or similar um, studying hair and beauty actually study um, cancer and mm-hmm. hair loss. I think it's that important, isn't it? Yeah, but what, absolutely. What I say to them is, they, I, you know, they tell me about what, what's happening with their training. And I was at a college a while back and they said, oh, we've been doing something amazing today. Oh, what have you been doing? They said, it's amazing. You put this lotion on the hair and it deconstructs it and makes it into a new texture. I said, that sounds fabulous. You know what they were talking about? A perm. No. That's, yes, it's now a reconstructor. <laughs> they hadn't. They didn't know what a perm was because they're 16, 17, 18. Oh, my god! And when they described I said, well, what sort of, you know, tools are you using? Oh, they're, you know, they're these small, round, with an elastic said, Rollers. Yes, rollers. <laughs> oh. And then you put on this lotion. Yes, it really smells. I thought, my goodness, we haven't come very far. It god used to stink Christ. when I was 17, and it oh still smells now. Oh, my gosh. So, so I love oh, that. I love hilarious. that for a new generation. That's a completely new thing. That's just so bizarre, though. I mean, mm. a friend of mine who she's been a hairdresser. I mean, we were at school together and we're still friends today. And she started out, she trained as a hairdresser. And she's just stopped because they've moved up to a North Yorkshire into a place called Gargrave. And um, and she she had to leave her, her old ladies behind as she moved because she just continued, just working part-time looking after the old ladies that she continued with. And they obviously all had the perms. But as she was saying to me, nobody knows how to do them. She'd have given up hairdressing a long time ago because she didn't need to work um but she didn't want to let her old ladies down because nobody else knew how to do perms and you know and you're absolutely right it's i mean why what happened is it because everybody's been using straightness for all these years <laughs> i don't know maybe i think straightness took over i mean i remember um when ghd brought in the first ever protocol pair mm. of straightening irons into the salon we we're working in and they were in like a tennis squash bag because they oh were my... so long back then Gosh. yeah and we tried these things out and said they are amazing. Mm-hmm. How have you done that? And the thing that I think is interesting is even now, you know, what people want to know is how can I recreate that everyday look? So if, for example, you've got cancer, you can lose your hair and you flat on iron it every day. What, what we need to remind people is when you get that wig, it's actually synthetic hair. If you flat iron it, it will be stuck to the hair. Yes. So these little everyday tips are so important to people. And what I realized was, Part of my job now is taking this massive information, cancer and hair loss is a huge topic, Mm. and filtering it down. Yes. So the everyday folk, which I'm an everyday folk, but I have this little pocket, this Mm. little area of expertise, and it's my privilege to really think about that and think, there's a lot of information there. How Mm. can I make that really clear for people? And that's that's going back to dyslexia. That's the skill that dyslexia gave me because I couldn't... 
articulate things in the way that others could. I had to break everything down to get to the end result. Yes. And so yeah. what I've learned is that when we work with people who are really vulnerable and who go from being, let's say, a successful woman who is in their early 50s, you know, they can do their hair in 12 and a half minutes from wet to dry to flat iron to tonged, super ready for their day. They then go to being diagnosed with cancer. And that ritual, because it is a ritual yes. in the morning and it yeah. prepares us for our day. Yes, it's quite sort of meditative, isn't it? When you're going through yeah. that process. Although they sound like they do more with their hair than I do. <laughs> wash and blow twice a week. <laughs> but even that, like you said, wash and blow twice a week. There's something grounding in that yes you know yeah. and it really is for a lot of people that really froze people because then they they don't perhaps give themselves that time so you mm -hmm. know we often say when we're working with women say, oh I can't get my wig sorted and so how long are you spending doing it three minutes well actually put the do not disturb sign on your door turn off your phone and mm -hmm. give yourself the 10 minutes you would have. And if it doesn't work when you put it on first time, take it off and walk away from it and mm -hmm. then go back again. And if you've been sitting down putting that wig on, shift the energy, stand up and do it the second time. So there's there's all these tips that Absolutely. People, people need us to share when we have these micro um, expertise. Yeah, there's something that I remember when we spoke previously um, that you said about when people have been diagnosed with with cancer and obviously it's the hair loss and to lose the hair or, or shaving it off in advance of the treatment and there was a there was a process that you suggested which I thought was was great in terms of you know pr preparing the family and everything like that. Clippering hair off either when it's falling out or in preparation for hair loss is a big deal yes, to absolutely. nearly everyone particularly females mm -hmm. um, and I just want to say that you know we're all learning this and um, really important language aren't we about how people like to be referred to so if any of the listeners are listening to this and thinking well actually Jasmine I don't want to be referred to as male or female and mm -hmm. um, that's absolutely fine however people wish to present themselves what we know is that it is challenging for nearly everybody if they've never clippered their hair if you've already got a short crop then mm -hmm. it's not going to be so challenging for most people it really is so what we say is Think about, try to think about that process in advance. So, for example, say you've got young kids around you. You know, sometimes as an adult, we might think, oh, let's get the whole family involved. It will be fun. Will it be fun? Are you able to facilitate that? Or actually, is it going to be really hard? It's fine to cry in front of your children if it's okay for you to do so. In mm -hmm. fact, it's probably giving them permission to cry when they have challenges themselves. So before maybe gathering the whole family around and clipping it off all together, which could work for some people, there's a process of thinking, what would be right for my family and what's mm -hmm. right for me? Do I actually want my partner here when I do this? Or do I actually want to go somewhere private and, and clipper it off, have it done for me? So I think getting prepared is important. And some of the tools that we have for things like that are things like hair loss dollies, which are beautifully hand-knitted and mm -hmm. they turn inside out. On one side they have hair and the other side they're hair-free. And therefore, if you've got young children, you can have that conversation in a playful way because actually children often don't like it, even if you have a fringe cut. They don't want mum to change. Or if mm -hmm. it's not your child, you may be auntie. So we, we say, have a think about that. If people have decided, actually, we're going to do this as a family, have some tools together. 
you know, have some things to hand. For example, have a dustpan and brush so you can sweep all that hair up. You know, perhaps light a candle and make mm-hmm. a ritual of it. You know, perhaps go afterwards and scatter that hair into a forest so that the birds could pick it up and make it into a nest, if that's how you feel. Perhaps you're going to put it on a bonfire. Mm-hmm. Perhaps there's something over and above just a mechanical shave-off that you can do to be prepared. It's all about evoking a sense of ritual or a mm-hmm. sense of well-being around something that could be really challenging. And that's how it then becomes ch- a challenge rather than a traumatic event. I love the power of the reframe because it's how you look at something and how you change that perspective and change that experience. And it only needs to be a few tweaks, doesn't it, to make it less traumatic. And it's just those words. It's those changes of those words and the mindset that will, will help go through that process. It's, it's all about mindset, isn't it? And that's what you encourage with the people that you work with. The way that people feel about hair loss is challenging Mm -hmm. until sometimes they pause and start to really think about it. And what we often say to people is, if you've not experienced hair loss before, before it actually happens, everything you're saying is a story. It's a script in your head. And what we help people to do is actually practice changing the script Mm -hmm. and actually having some verbal script, because there's different scripts. There's a script that the part of ourself will be telling ourselves in our head the voice that we hear saying, oh my gosh, you know, there's no way you could go to work in a wig. Everybody will know you've got cancer. Everybody will know you've lost your hair. Well, actually, how many people are in your work? If there's 200 people in your office, I very much doubt everybody will know. And mm-hmm. if you go for a wig that's very similar to your own hair, then probably not. However, what you don't want to do is be in a vulnerable situation where you've completely changed your hairstyle in the view of others because you cut your long hair off. You're now wearing... Um, you know a short dark wig and last week you had long blonde hair that will be a conversation point Mm -hmm. and it might be a conversation point with somebody you don't know very well that just you know so and so from finance that you've never spoke to it says oh you've changed your hair and in that moment you blurt out I've got cancer this that I've lost Mm -hmm. my hair had to shave it off I feel awful and actually you might not have wanted to share your story So sometimes script is being prepared, having a little script where if someone's going to notice your hair, you can redirect and say, yeah, that's right. I fancied a change of style. I've always wanted to see if brunettes have more fun Mm -hmm. and stop there and stop there, you know, because you need to be able to choose who you share your story with. Mm -hmm. But your hair change will mean that people will ask you about it or are likely to. So that's the type of knowledge that we can and ideas we can pass on to people and people say, oh, my gosh. I would have never thought of that. And of course they wouldn't because they've not been through it before. But we have. Yes. You know, I've sat beside 10,000 people now. Wow. Yeah, I only know that number because a journalist asked me to work it out. And the other day when I was doing some NHS nurse training, they said, wow, to that number. And I said to them, hang on a minute, put your hand up because I know most of you in here, if you've been nursing for longer than 20 years, I said, have you ever worked it out? I bet you, you have seen more than 10,000 patients. So we sat there in the coffee break and they were staggered. I said, now, you know, we, it's a very British thing, I think, to not be able to say, oh my goodness, wow, that's something. My family, I'm half Indian. And in India, my Indian family will very beautifully tell you what they're good at and what they're not. But Mm -hmm. they know their merits. 
And I believe that we have to develop our merits in order for, to, to, for us to give to others. If we want to be in service, we've got to know our merits because it's not helpful to others to say, oh, actually, mm, I'm not really sure about what I'm telling you. Well, uh, to the best of my knowledge, having sat with 10,000 people, this is really what I think about that. And I hope that's helpful to you. I've got lots to learn. I've got another 10,000 people to meet. Yes. However, you <laughs> yeah. know, we, we've got, I, I do think... Anybody who's listening to this who's maybe in whatever field, creating their own part of themselves, which is about giving service, however that may be, there is a point where I believe um, we have to practice our merits. Mm -hmm. We have to know what we're good at and where we need to improve and what we're really not good at. Absolutely right. I did that calculation once many years ago about how many people I've helped that sort of in my world of recruitment. But actually, you know... (laughs) It isn't just that. It, you know, I, I recognised again years and years and years ago that the, the part that I was playing was a big part in their lives. So I had to be really mindful of that. So I've always been sort of privileged to, to play a part in somebody's life, whether that's just a telephone conversation I might be having with somebody that I can't help or I can just help with a couple of words of advice or whether it's somebody that I've sort of interviewed or placed a job or it's somebody I've worked with on a coaching basis. And it's it's thousands. I mean, I worked out a few years ago. because at one point I was interviewing in the 80s, five people a day, five days a week. Well, you can do the maths since 1987. <laughs> it's just such a long time. It's a lot of numbers, isn't it? It's a lot of people to actually have played a part, a small part, large part or whatever part in their lives and helping them within their their life in general because it isn't just about careers. It's how it's how the life integrates because it's about following your talents and your passions, which is what you've done, which is amazing because you've really aligned with what you're passionate about and that comes through and your curiosity and that solution focused outcome thinking that you 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 see it as a you you don't see the problem you see the sort of what's been presented as an opportunity to sort of think outside the box and create something or create a solution Uh, and where there isn't one get curious to sort of work out what you can do and go through seven years of (laughs) sort of hard work and you know, hundreds or thousands of conversations with people to, to get to where you want to get to, to, to achieve what you've achieved, which is awesome. And like you say, you know, we're, we're just that part, but there's so much that we know because of our experience that will help other people. And if you stand by those merits, then they have that trust and faith in you that will help them, which is what we're here to do, isn't it? We're here to serve. That's a really good summary, because what I've learned is that Whenever I do a workshop, for example, I let people know the baseline from where my guidance is coming from. And I say to people, I'm here as an individual today, as one person. But what I'm sitting with, what you can't see that's behind me is all these voices and all the team that I work with, these amazing hairdressers to whom we have these discussions regularly so that I might be able to sit here and give you five great tips for um, if you're going to lose your eyebrows and, and what might be available for you to do so I always think there's this if we can share how we've got to where we're giving guidance and ideas it enables other people to see that that's not just come out of my mouth you know I've not just become a a super confident person in this area it's 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 working with people and and acknowledging that it's coming through me Mm -hmm. um but actually I'm just delivering messages from thousands of people and I think there's a lot of power in that and a lot of support that people feel Mm -hmm. when they realize oh yeah actually I'm not alone because actually what hair loss is about is is exposing our sense of not belonging Mm -hmm. that's what it does and all of us as human beings 
the most important thing, isn't it? It's how we feel. We think we think, but we know through the work of people like amazing Brené Brown and all the people she introduces us to, that actually we are feeling beings who then think. And when we can say that to people, they say, you know, I just, I just don't understand why this wig isn't working for me. There'll be a feeling around that. There might mm. be some practicalities. Oh, it's 90 degrees today. It doesn't work for most people. But actually, if that's not existing, if the physical factors aren't existing, it's a good fit, um, it's not 90 degrees, mm. all the rest of it, then it's a feeling. And sometimes people say to me, I feel that everybody's staring at me. And then we're able to say, okay, let's break that down a bit. Give me an example. And a lady said to me once, well, actually, I was in the supermarket and I was just in the queue and I'd forgotten about my cancer treatment. I was thinking about an apple pie I was going to make. But this lady looked at me and she gave me a second look. And I thought, oh, my God, she knows I'm wearing a wig. She knows I've got cancer. I said, right, let's break that story down. I said, what happened with the look? She said, well, I looked back to her. I said, okay, what do you think she might have been thinking? She said, well, I just think she thought I was wearing a wig. I said, really? Do you really think that? Because let's look at this wig in the mirror. It doesn't look like a wig. We've Mm -hmm. established that. And I said, but I could give you a little bit of feedback. What might have happened is you've lost your eyebrows and you've told me that you're not penciling them on or anything. I said, what happens is when we look at strangers, our brains are checking all the time for threat, believe it or not. That's Mm -hmm. what they're doing. Am I safe? Am I safe? And when we look at another and we don't see their eyebrows, we can't read them properly. And we look an extra second longer. Then you look back at her and she couldn't read you because she couldn't read her eyebrows. And you've you've got this eye communication thing going on and your story has gone, she knows I'm wearing a wig. Mm -hmm. Her story might have been something completely different. It might have even been, I've always wanted to colour my hair that colour. Or, oh, that lady's got cooking apples. I was meant to cook an apple pie. We don't know. But what we've done is made up a story. And now we're making up a story again because we're trying to, what you used earlier, we're trying to reframe it. But that Mm. conversation, that lady said she'd never forgotten that because, number one, she went on and learnt how to put on her eyebrows because she understood how important it is for communication. Mm -hmm. And number two she realised that that was a story she'd made up in her head. Yeah, and it's transference as well, because actually what you think you transfer out and what you transfer out is what you get back and what her perception was, was what she was transferring back because she automatically assumed that that person was looking at her because she knew she was wearing a wig, so she was transferring exactly. that back and you've got this this story. And like you said, you know, if people people do, you, you kind of don't plan to do a second look or stay looking, but if something doesn't trigger properly when you're looking at somebody you go oh what's that? and you, you suddenly realize and you, <laughs> and you don't mean to be rude but you, it can also make it can be it's a subconscious thing isn't it and you go oh god I, I didn't mean to do that I didn't mean to sort of look or almost look away and it's yeah it's it's the stories people tell but as you say she could have just been looking at him and going oh I wouldn't mind a top like that <laughs> Exactly, but you're so right. And the thing about hair loss is when females are out in public and say they're in their early 40s and particularly, you know, Caucasian females because a lot of women of colour do have very, very short hair. Mm -hmm. And so when sometimes we see a Caucasian woman who is completely hair-free and they haven't got eyebrows and lashes, we don't think, oh, they've had a short haircut out of choice. We think, ooh, that there's something wrong 
or we think, oh gosh, I don't want to look because I don't want to be looking like I'm giving pity. And it's, mm-hmm. it's a millisecond, but we're aware. Oh, I've looked too much. I'm hyper aware because in my early days, I used to think, oh, you know, maybe they need my help. <laughs> well, that's coming from that part of the ego that hasn't been well enough nourished and developed to say, this isn't about you running along going, hi, I've just started a cancer charity. Want a free scarf? That would be yes. hideous. That would be hideous. That's, that's you, Jasmine, in your juvenile brain getting all excited. <laughs> Um, about oh I'm helping someone but actually what I've learned now is wow yes even now and I'm so used to seeing people that are hair free and we mm. use that word hair free because I like that hair free nicer that's a word bit, yeah, isn't it hair free yeah, rather hair-free. than bald lots of people say thank you I'd rather be hair free yes um, but even now when I see somebody I have to be really conscious to not look too much to actually you know to be mindful of am I giving a, a smile that looks like it's from a place of pity to that person and it's hard it's Mm. still challenging because I I can't say I've got it exactly right and so you know that is us as human beings even a human being that's really thought about this that something in our biology and our brain chemistry just goes oh different oh different that's what happens and I think to acknowledge that is much better than pretending all the time that Mm. we know what to do Exactly. Well, the thing is, it's, be, it's being aware of what the brain does. And because, you know, we, we aren't our behaviour, we aren't our thoughts. And you, you use the phrase that, you know, Brené Brown said, but I, I, I always like to think about us, it's a spirit having a human experience. So we can change the way we are and with thoughts, but we, you can only change them when you recognise them. And obviously when you recognise them, that's when you can take action. That's when you can change your behaviour. But it is a work in progress. You know, it's, it's like a positive mindset and thinking and actually recognizing that you know you can change the phraseology you can reframe the words and like you were saying it's how you think and and what you you say but because you are being mindful of it you're doing it from a point of oh oh I could go and help that person but oh no I must I must stand back but you know I guess it's because you are so passionate you want to help and that's probably why that still triggers because you can recognize somebody who you know you could help but it's not the right approach to go and sort of rugby tackle them down and go oi (laughs) I've got something that can help you Flyer, yeah, and actually, they might not want my help. They might have had long-term hair loss for their whole life. Mm-hmm. And I think what you said is really interesting because when you said, I, "I've always believed for as long as I can remember that we are spiritual beings having a human experience," so mm-hmm. as soon as you said that, my mirror neurons kick in, uh, you know, and that is the <laughs> part of us in our brain that you know, obviously, oh, I've heard something that I agree with. Oh, wow, I want to uh, uh, rejoice in that. You know, oh my gosh, I think that too. And so, you know, as human beings, we're we're always looking for confirmation that we're right, that we're Mm. right in this human body. And what hair loss does is it strips us back. And often people don't feel right. They don't feel right about being in their own body. And so, you know, that feeling about, like you said, being able to harness ourselves and get hold of the script a little bit Mm -hmm. and change it is so critical isn't it because ultimately hair loss is mainly experienced in our minds Mm -hmm. it is a thinking process and you know it's in that place where people find all kinds of gems And, and so many people say to me I would have never have chosen to lose my hair but my goodness I've learned so much you know, yes. I've learned who my friends are. I've learned how I respond to myself. I've stopped worrying about lots of other things that I used to think about. 
But often people say, given a choice, I would rather have hair. But the other thing is, is all to do with that mindset, that acceptance of, of where you're at for the time being in this moment in time. It's the story you tell yourself is what you put out and how you experience life. And if you actually accept it and work with it rather than against it and go with the flow rather against the flow, it's going to everything's going to feel better. You're going to experience it in a different way. Um, and yes, there's all that learning. And it's when you see what you do learn and how you change as a person through the experience that you're going through, whatever it is, you know, whether it is sort of hair, hair loss or um, whatever else that you might be experiencing in life. It, it, it is about how you choose to view that experience and what you can take learning wise from it, I believe. I think that's well said. And what I'd add to that from my experience is that what people often say to me is, they say things like, oh, I'm trying really hard to be okay about it. I'm, I, you know, I'm really trying to accept it. And what I say to people is, in my experience, try a little less hard to accept it and spend at least five minutes a day being really peeved off with it. Mm -hmm. Because actually accepting is often accepting the part that feels unacceptable. Accepting can be saying, I... I don't want this hair loss. I don't like how I look, but I'm yeah. going to accept that. I'm going to accept that. I don't right now in this part of my journey, I don't like my look and I don't like this. And acceptance mm -hmm. doesn't always have to look how I think people think it looks like, oh, I'm going to go out and just be hair free everywhere when I do my supermarket shopping or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to wear my wig all the time and I'm going to wear different coloured headscarves if that's not your authentic way mm -hmm. then it's fine to to say today's not great but yeah. I know this will pass and exactly. I'm gonna I'm gonna try something new and that way I think people have a positive acceptance mm -hmm. yeah which enables them often to try something completely different because did you know that at least 70% of people who get a wig will only wear it about three times. Oh, really? Yes, because people perceive that the answer to hair loss is a wig, is replacing it mm -hmm. with often a replica of what they had. And that makes good sense when you've not experienced it before. But what happens is they get a wig. Oh, yes, that looks just like my, you know, whatever my hairstyle is. Great. It's got cornrows. It's spot on with the right colour. It looks like I've had my own Afro hair braided. Or, oh, I've got a short, sharp, snappy bob with a bit of pink at the end exact carbon coffee or what I feel like I'm going to have they then become hair free where they lose not only their their hair but they lose the weight the feeling the physicality mm -hmm. the ritual and then to plonk on sometimes this wig that actually doesn't tuck behind the ear like their hair did mm -hmm. and doesn't move when they move their head in the same way and you know there are some fabulous wigs out there but for a lot of people they're shocked that it's not the answer and then they say you know what I hate is taking it off at night and laying next to my partner Yes, so often, yes. then it's the reality of, well, what next? And that's where we can say, have you heard of a fringe that you can stick in a headscarf? No. What's that? There's all these other things mm -hmm. that I think can be really mysterious. And what we try to do is say, this is how you do it. This is how you make sure it stays on your head and doesn't end up being a fringe that flicks in your soup. You know, <laughs> and this is how you wash it. And don't use your GHDs because you're going to melt it. And it's yes. just... Here's how to do it. Here's, here's some ideas, you know. And that, I think, is when people then think, I now have some choices. Because what happens is people think, I don't have a choice. I didn't have a choice to have cancer. I didn't have a choice to lose my hair. I've got no choice. And sometimes I say to people, you know, sometimes when you go down a crossroads and there's a signpost and it says, this way is quite difficult, 
and this way, way is quite difficult also. But you're going to go down one path. And what our job is, is to be the tour guide on the guide you didn't want to go, losing your hair. But yes, it's not, yeah. it's, we're not the type of tour guides that stand there with an umbrella saying, follow me, follow me, and we're in front of you. We're the type of guide that sits alongside you and waits until you're ready mm-hmm. and says, actually, I'm hearing that it's too hot for you to wear your wig. Could I just show you some other options? And when you say, oh, I can't stand the look of that fringe, I would never have that. And you come back a month later saying, hmm, where do I get those fringes for? <laughs> yes. We will rejoice because it's your experience. And we can, we can never tell another. And, we, and, and I love the phrase, walk in another's shoes. But when we try to walk in another's shoes, we still walk in it in our shoes. Yes. And it's a wonderful experience. We, we had, we've got a mutual friend who's a marvellous hairdresser. She's and fabulous, work, work, yes. Works for Cancer Hair Care. And I remember her saying, and she's allowed me to share this story, when she first started, she said, do you know what, Jasmine, I'm thinking of shaving all my hair off. Now, this woman has got fabulous long she blonde has. hair. She has, beautiful you know, hair. And, and it's a signature of hers, you know. I shouldn't say long blonde because actually it's got multi-tones in it. <laughs> she <laughs> tell me off. It's multi-toned long hair, you know, uh, wonderful hair. And she does all kinds of things with it. But she wanted so much to understand mm. how it felt for another that she was prepared to shave all her hair off wow. and to wear a wig. Mm-hmm. And I said to her, wow, that is so beautiful. But mm-hmm. here's the thing. Even if you do that, your face isn't going to be puffed up on steroids. You know your hair will grow back. It will start growing back straight away. Mm-hmm. You know, you aren't going through the fear of having chemotherapy. So you would have nothing like an experience that somebody who's actually losing it is going to have. And therefore, you could perceive the completely wrong end of the stick. What's amazing here is that you have dedicated yourself so much to being of service by being a cancer hair care hairdresser that you've had the thought process. That's what serves people that you're going to work with. It's that thought process, but you don't need to shave your hair off. No, absolutely. Because as you say, we, we, we all experience life in a different way and the walking in the shoes can give you an experience, but we are unique individuals. We are all completely different based on all our experiences, our internal drivers, the experiences we've had, how we process and how we learn, all different. And so everybody is going to, you know, have that experience in a different way. And they will may try lots of different things, you know, across the whole walks of life, whatever it is, until they find something that sort of resonates and works for them. But oh, it's just been fascinating, absolutely fascinating talking to you. I just love talking to you. It's just like I say, could talk all afternoon, all week. Yeah, all year. (laughs) Let's go to India together. Let's do that. (laughs) Oh, likewise, Sarah. You know, isn't it great to be able to get together and talk about emotions and, you know, chemistry and neurons and just everyday stuff as well? You yeah. know, how, how it really, there's all the big words. And then there's a, you know, we, we arrive saying, actually, I, I feel off today and I don't know what it is. And like you said, it's always work in progress. Exactly. So it's, yeah, it's been a real pleasure to, to, to have this discussion together. So how do people get in touch with you, Jasmine? How, how do they, if they've been fascinated, which I'm sure they are, anybody that's listening has got to, got to have been fascinated with this, this, this whole story. And if people are going through cancer or know somebody who has got hair loss because of cancer, how do they get in touch with you and your charity? 
Well, for your global audience, and you know how wonderful people are tuning on from tuning in from all around the world, and um, we have a wonderful website, cancerhaircare.co.uk. Now, our website is called an information website, and what that means is there's over a hundred pages of well-sourced information about the subject of cancer treatments and hair loss. So, whatever cancer treatment you're having and hair loss, there should be some helpful information on there for you. So, internationally, that's available free of charge for anybody to look at as well as we have a YouTube channel so that's my YouTube channel called chemo hair loss coach and although it has that word chemo in it it actually there's a lot of guidance and advice for anybody losing hair or new hair growth at any stage during cancer treatment so they're two completely free resources if you're based in the UK then we can also offer you as a registered charity um, phone consultation or email consultation and where there is a need we can also send um, a complimentary pack for those that need it into hospitals or at home for example I was telling you about the hair loss dollies which are a free resource we can give you but most importantly you can speak to one of our excellent 20 fully trained hairdressers and they will have a conversation with you which is sometimes what people need an individualized conversation so go to our website and we said earlier, cancerhaircare.co.uk. You can email us, support at cancerhaircare.com. Or you can call 01438 311 322. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being um, being a guest on Harnessing Happiness. And I say, I say, this has been Harnessing Happiness with myself, Sarah J. Naylor. So if you have enjoyed this episode, uh, please do rate, review, follow, subscribe, whatever it is you do on your channel. And of course, please do get in touch with Jasmine directly. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for listening. And as I say, this has been me, Sarah J. Naylor, Harnessing Happiness. And until next time, lots of love from me to you all globally. Thank you so much for being fabulous listeners. Thanks for listening to the Harnessing Happiness podcast with Sarah J. Naylor. If you took value from the content, please follow the show on your podcast app. And to find out more about Sarah's ape mindset, visit sarahjnaylor.com. That's sarahjnaylor.com.